Byer here, welcoming you to Season 3. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! <laughs> Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms. If you want to be a better farmer, you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine. That's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf. And then the other thing, part of Growers and Company is there, he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied. You know, he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book, The Market Gardener. If you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's, he's, he got to go travel to all these farms and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork, the handles are just wood and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um, They've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company growers.co check it out get something for your favorite gardener definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor do you belong to a csa i'll bet you want to get them a christmas present this year it doesn't have to be on time i know it might be late when you're hearing this but Make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and co join Patty Armbruster and I for grow live on YouTube live Saturday mornings, coming to you in 2021. We'll be answering your questions. We'll be um, laughing and sharing information that you want to know because they're going to be answers to your questions on YouTube live Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time, and 8 a.m. Pacific. Send us your questions. You can submit them at the organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash patty. You can email me at orgpodcast at gmail.com. You can send them to micegreengarden at gmail.com. Ask Patty Live. Grow Live with Jackie and Patty. We'll be answering your questions. What do you need to know to grow healthy food in your garden? 
I am so excited to talk to you today because I just, I love your story. Like one of the parts I love the most is like how you got this perennial garden by like taking, did you take the master gardener class or you like, you had people come, you donated your space to a nonprofit yep. organization dedicated to helping people living with addiction to gain real life skills, working with plants. Like I just love that. I was just like, I was sold from that sentence right there. And just, and then you learned and you got hooked and it's so pretty. And I love perennials. Like those are the kind of things I like to grow and just your whole story, like is just been so fantastic to read. And again, I supported you right away. As soon as I saw that cup of coffee thing, that was so cool. So uh, (laughs) thank you. I'll answer your questions about the perennial garden and how that all worked. Um, because it was fun. It was fun. And it was completely transformative for my land, for my community and for me. So. Okay. Definitely. And I know one of the things my listeners really want to know, like, I think I found you through your garden alchemy book was you mm-hmm. talked about having recipes and things for keeping. Cause with a question I get like repeated, I have like three questions. And the big one is what do I do about pests and bugs in my garden? And didn't it have a, thing about recipes for like yes organic a, fertilizers plant elixirs potty mixings pest yeah. deterrents and more 80 yes. recipes and concoctions so that's what i hear about all right i'm gonna do like the ultimate podcaster faux pas and i'm gonna ask you to just hold on for one second let me just grab up uh, something just okay super cool. Anyway, yeah. it's a it's an act of love. Anyway, I just I love my <laughs> listeners. I love my guests. Like I love connecting with people and just I've learned more than anybody how to garden and grow things. Like when I first started podcasting, I remember like it was so intimidating. It sounded so scary and like all of it. And then like within six months, probably it felt like breathing. And I am almost at the point where I could say like growing some things is finally starting to feel like breathing to me more than like this like I feel like I have I've definitely gone from brown thumb to I'm not sure I'd say quite that I have a green thumb but I can grow some stuff wow (laughs) I kind of I've learned a lot I've really learned a lot and I'm having more successes this year I had success with tomatoes which was just incredible my own homemade tomato sauce and salsa oh I'm hooked on the tomato oh, thing. You know what I grew this year that's so fun? Tomatillos. I haven't grown tomatillos before. And they produced like a gazillion tomatillos. And I just picked up one little plant at a local herb farm, threw it in the garden. It produced pounds of tomatillos. And so I've been eating salsa verde and all these other sauces and things. with Tomatillos, they're delicious. I couldn't believe how productive it was. Now, are you in... Vancouver in British yeah. Columbia? Yeah, Vancouver, BC. Okay. I gotta introduce you. Uh yeah. so listeners are like, um, okay. So welcome to the Green Organic Garden season three. It is Saturday, November twenty-first, twenty twenty, but it hopefully this is gonna release the first week of January twenty twenty-one, which isn't that far away. I have an amazing guest on the line. She's written 10 i think she said 11 books her website is just full of golden seeds galore her website is gardentherapy.ca and here's stephanie rose to just drop golden seeds for you listeners i know you're gonna love it and learn a ton so welcome to the show stephanie 
Hi, Jackie. Thanks so much for having me today. This is a lot of fun. Oh, well, I'm just so excited to have you on. And uh, I haven't recorded an episode for like the first time in my podcast history in a month until like I did one last week and one this morning. So it's so fun to be back on the mic and connecting with guests again and talking to everybody. And just um, I had such a good season this year as a gardener myself. We were kind of talking a little on the pre-chat. And so I am like just excited to share with listeners uh, your story. So, well, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, Well, I'm a Vancouver, BC gardener. My name's Stephanie Rose, and that's my real name. People usually ask me that right away. Is that your real name or is that a pen name? I'm like, no, my name is really Stephanie Rose. But I was never a gardener growing up. I grew up in, in the city, in an urban area. My parents didn't garden. I didn't learn how to garden from my grandmother or anybody like that. So um, I just, you know, went on about my life. I went to school, went into corporate Canada. I'm Canadian. Um, went into corporate Canada. I was sort of climbing up the ladder. And then all of a sudden, one day in 2006 I got a headache and that headache turned into an eight-year recovery process of uh, severe illness and disability that sort of just took me out overnight I got a headache I then couldn't get out of bed for almost two years and I had intermittent paralysis in my arms and my legs it was a really really absolutely difficult time I don't know what happened Um, it was just overnight my life changed and that's kind of happening to a lot of people this year, like 2020. In 2020, people's lives changed overnight. And so I really get what happened, what's been happening on a global scale, because I went through that back in 2006. So what was it that (laughs) caused it? Yeah, um, you know what, I don't have an answer for you. They I've we've got amazing healthcare here in Canada. And so I went to every doctor and specialist. I went to natural specialists. I went to traditional um, Western medicine and uh, went to see everybody. They said it could have been like what we've come down to is it could have been an insect borne illness, like a tick illness, but not Lyme. It could have been a form of chemical poisoning. It could have been a virus. They really don't know what it was that took me out, but whatever it was. And like, you were like, you couldn't walk like paralyzed. No, no, it was intermittent paralysis. So it was a um, peripheral neuropathy. So occasionally my arms and my legs would go out. They were very weak, but I would walk and then all of a sudden my legs would just give out on me and I would fall down or I'd be carrying something. My hands would give out on me and I would drop it. Um, So it was scary. But I was, I mean, those first couple of years that actually stayed with me for about 10 years. Uh, but it happened less and less over time. I used to, my arms would go blue and purple colored because there, it was just like, there was nothing getting to them. Um, and I'd always have this pins and needles feeling anyway, it was, it was scary, but it wasn't part the worst part of it. The worst part of it was that all my system had shut down and I couldn't get out of bed. So as I started to, um, so, like I slept for years and as I started to want to rebuild my life, as I started to wake up a bit, I used gardening as my, my rehabilitation program and it was completely self-directed. I went to the library and I got every book on gardening. Um, we had a great program where they would deliver the books to you. So I would lie in bed and I would read the books and learn about, you know, everything from starting seeds and growing herbs, to growing vegetables and perennials and trees and shrubs and everything that I could get my hands on. And then I would go out in my garden and just sort of start scratching in the soil, playing with this. I had this little urban yard in my 
um, I have a little house on a standard size lot with a little yard. And on my website, I don't know if you have links in the show notes, but I can show the transformation over five years of when I started gardening and using it as my therapy uh, to what it looked like when five years later after I, um, I, I guess not, a, it was never complete, but after five years, the transformation of my garden really showed the transformation of me and my health as well. So gardening completely saved my life. It changed everything about my life. And when it was, when I was starting to feel well enough to go back to work, I didn't go back to my corporate job. I started writing and making my living as an author. I had started the garden therapy blog because I was lonely and isolated at home. And I wanted to reach out to other people who were gardening as well and learn from them and share what I was doing. And so I kind of created my own little mini community garden with garden therapy. I'd share a couple of pictures of what I was working on and met all these fabulous people all around the world. And that blog really helped me sort of develop my writing skills and, and learn about other gardeners and meet other people. And so when it was time to go back to work, I'm like, well, this is what I want to do from now on. I want to teach people about gardening. I want to show them how they can find healing in the soil. And so, yeah, that's, it's now how many years later, <laughs> 14 years later. And, uh, and I'm now an organic, I've been an organic master gardener in Pacific Northwest. So um, Oregon, Washington, and BC is our master gardeners group. Um, for 11 years, I am a permaculture designer, a herbalist, and a natural skincare formulator. So over the years, I've, I've built up my training. And now I write from this perspective of um, plants as healers. So it was real therapy for you. What made you like think gardening is going to be the answer? You know, I couldn't go far. I was stuck in my house and it's, it, people are doing the same thing during this pandemic. They did, when the, when the sun started coming out and the ground started to thaw, people went, I can't really leave my home. I'm isolated. I'm working from home. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to start to take control of my land. So there's something that's just drawing people in the pandemic that did the exact same thing to me in 2006 is I felt this need to just be with the land. I also, because I didn't know what made me sick in the first place, I went back and I changed everything about the food that I ate, the products that I put on my body, the medicines that I use. I really look towards getting as close to the seed and the soil as possible and removing anything that was, you know, lab created. I didn't under, I couldn't, if I couldn't recognize the name or the word or see a plant that looked like that, then I didn't want to include it because it could have been the thing that made me sick. It's hard to know. Well, the scientist in you is coming out. So, <laughs> uh, well, do you want to tell us about, I guess, because you, you did talk about your very first gardening experience because that was then, right? Like after you got out of bed? Yes. Yeah. So after I got, I did a bunch of different things. So there was a bunch of like, I started, you know, vegetable gardening in my backyard. I started with herbs, but I had this really fun and I joined a community garden. Um, so I learned about vegetable gardening and growing food at a community garden, which was really great. Like I said, I joined the master gardeners group and I did that training. And then I did a lot of work with children's garden. And again, that the children's gardens were all focused on food, but I had this front yard, this full sun south facing bright sunny front yard and I was like okay it's just lawn what are we going to do with it and I met somebody in my neighborhood who had this backyard nursery and what he was doing was growing these plants in various 
front yards or people's um, urban landscapes, and then allowing people that lived on our downtown east side that were living with addiction that to build their skills in nursery and gardening work by having them come and dig up plants from people's yards, divide them, pot them, and sell them in his backyard nursery. So he had all these plants and had to move, and we got in touch, and I said, well, I've got this front, sunny front yard, and you've got all these plants that you have to get in the ground somewhere. I said, give them to me. We'll put them in my, we'll put them in my garden and you can dig them up and divide them every year and, and I'll learn about perennial gardening. So he brought over 300 one, gal or, uh, 300 one to five gallon pots with green leaves sticking out of them. The leaves all looked a little bit different. There was no tags. There was no information on any of them. And he helped me dig up the yard. We put all these plants in and then I spent the next year watching these plants grow and learn about what these green leaves are going to turn into. And it was a fantastic experience. I wrote about this in my um, latest book, Garden Alchemy. In the introduction, it's how plants are teachers. And so how I learned perennial gardening was to take 300 pots with a green thing sinking out of it, put it in my front yard, and then see what it did. And so there were some crazy wonderful successes where things would grow and I'd meet the most amazing plants and then there was some things where all of a sudden like right in front of uh right in the very front border in front of a bunch of other plants I grew an eight foot tall joe pieweed that was almost impossible to dig out some of the things that he gave me were completely invasive and I ended up digging them out for years afterwards and then some were just these like completely beautiful collection plants like little powder blue dutch iris that were delicate and gorgeous and would pop up and just bring you so much joy so everything was just a learning experience such a fun way to learn about perennials and uh and perennials have a like very I've, i feel like i have a very close connection with them after doing this um this learning experience because they taught me so much well, I love perennials too. I mean, they're just the best. I mean, you put them in and they last, you know, for so long. I mean, I know annuals, sometimes they have some bright colors and they can make some bouquets that, but oh, I just think perennials are the best. Yeah. And they provide, I mean, some of them have, you know, delicious edible parts to them. Some of them have medicinal parts. They provide so much food for pollinators. They provide shelter for um, backyard wildlife. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with filling your garden with perennials and other plants that, you know, are pretty low maintenance, but provide a lot of beauty and, and uh, enjoyment throughout the year. So... I want to hear about the recipes for the, um, you know, like the organic fertilizers or something about pest deterrence. Sure. Well, so my latest book that I just talked about, Garden Alchemy, is kind of a completely unique, interesting book that there's nothing else out there like it. And it comes from my background as this organic gardener and permaculturist and herbalist. So it's the idea that plants are medicine and permaculture is the idea of building regenerative gardens that you know can sustain themselves that are taking the active work of the gardener away from the garden and allowing these systems to completely um, support themselves the way mother nature would like the forest does and this whole idea of like your your home gardener taking the home gardening um mentality and applying these principles of plants as medicine and permaculture to it so i wrote a recipe book it's 
it's actually like a cookbook and it's got 80 recipes in there for everything from soil mixes to fertilizer blends, um, pest deterrents, as you said, there's, you know, there's even, there's mixtures for like, what's the best mix of backyard bird seed for your birds. There's uh, how to make um, the mix to go in a butterfly, butterfly puddler. There's a whole bunch of like I said, homemade uh, soil recipes, but there's also compost tea, how to make a compost tea brewer, like all these, you know, vermicompost and then herbal concoctions. So you can take things like comfrey, which, you know, could be considered a weed or completely overgrown in your garden and take that beautiful plant and make a comfrey smoothie to then go and water your garden with and feed the plants or make a weed tea by steeping the weeds that you're taking out of the garden, putting them in a pillowcase in a bucket, letting that steep and then using that weed tea to feed your garden. So yeah, you wanted to hear about um, some of the pest deterrents. Well, they are, there's so many herbs that naturally repel pests. So I've got a recipe in there that's got your typical pest deterrent recipe, which is with pepper and garlic and a little bit of, um, you know, blending that up in a, in a, in a blender. But there's also, I also put on that page a list of, I'm going to guess and say 12 or somewhere between 12 and 20 different herbs and what pests they repel. So if you're looking for a specific pest that's sort of bothering you in your garden, you can pick some of these herbs, put it into the mix as well, strain it out, and then use that as your pest deterrent. Because there's so much, I mean, if you're spraying mint on your plants, it's not going to harm the plants, but it will help to deter some of the pests that you don't want on them. Ooh, awesome. Sounds like it's filled with tons of good recipes. Um, so, but like, so you mix it in the blender, like a pepper plant and, and like, is it like a dried, like, like the seeds? Yeah, 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 yeah. You want and the then spicy. do you add water to it and yep. then put it in a. Hmm. Yes, exactly. And then when exactly. do you spray that? Like when the plants like when you see bugs or like as a preventative or like just yeah once a week or well so I talk a lot about this in the chapter on on um birds bees and bugs because frankly um I I'm not an anti-bug gardener I think I believe that everything has a place in our backyard ecosystem and so a pest deterrent is really something that's going to help you manage um an over um, growth or an over bloom of some sort of pest that's it that's bothering you. I also write in here very clearly that you want to try to allow your pest population to grow enough to attract the beneficial insects in to do the work for you. So if you're, you know, indiscriminately spraying pesticides, this is not a pesticide. I don't have anything, any sides in this book. It's all deterrents. And the idea is that you've got a plant that you really love and it's, you know, uh, really attracting aphids. Well, set up an aphid nursery somewhere else in your garden, some plant a, far away from your prize plants and allow the aphids to grow on there. Allow the aphids to build up enough of a population to bring in the beneficial insects, the parasitic wasps, the ladybugs, the birds that are all going to come and eat the aphids for you. And once they fill up in your aphid nursery, they're going to head out to the rest of the garden and make sure they're picking off all the rest from your prize plants. So this was just more 
you know, if, if, you ha if any of your listeners have cats, it's the same thing. You've got a cat with claws. You want to teach them to scratch the scratching post rather than scratch the couch. There's sprays that you can put on them, and it's a deterrent. So it's making it less hospitable. It's making it less attractive, and you're giving them a place to actually do the work that they need to do. So I'm not an anti-bug gardener. I don't want to kill anything, but I, you know, I understand that people have um, a desire to have fewer pests. And I think accepting some allows you to have a much less work garden because you're uh, allowing more of the beneficials to come and do the job for you. And then you can sit back and relax and drink tea. That is a great <laughs> way to put it. I don't usually care about bugs too much, but I did have just like way too many caterpillar holes in my kale this year. Yeah. But Lisa Ziegler gave me a big lecture on putting row cover on top of my kale, like right after I plant it so that the caterpillar moths don't come and lay their eggs to begin with. And then I shouldn't have as many kale holes in my kale which don't bother me as much but if we were gonna if I'm gonna give it away I did actually have a lot of holes in my kale like there was a lot of kale that I didn't even want to eat it was so bad this year so uh -huh. I got plenty of kale I did I mean I did for just me but um yeah so yeah and like what do you what are like aphid attractor like sunflowers are right what are some other aphid attractors well you know i think it's different in everybody's garden which is quite funny because i know um one of the one of the herbs that i have here that's listed as a um that repels aphids is dill but i have a a friend in the neighborhood and she can't keep aphids off of her dill and she's like bred this wonderful dill plant that just has its own little ecosystem of aphids on it and i'm just like well, you're, you're hooked because like you've you've created something that it's um that's allowed the um the aphids to you know adapt to it somehow so i think really you can see in your garden very quickly the ones that they're liking um i know i mean something like a perennial plant like shasta daisies they really love there's lots of vegetable plants that they love it, and you're going to get different kinds of aphids on different kinds of plants like for example if you've got um an apple tree and beans you're going to have different kinds of aphids on both of those plants so you know you can really just spend some time try and you don't need to have um trap plants for that exact kind of aphid what you want to try to do is have trap plants that bring in lots of aphids so that you can bring in the beneficial insects or, and and birds that will go around and, and go find the other aphids elsewhere so it's not like you have to um you know make sure that you're planting for a specific aphid species in order to um in order to get the benefits of having an aphid nursery love all of that it just sounds so beautiful like all the different options of flowers you can have and and different things all working together and the biodiversity piece so yeah well how i wrote the book was um like i said it's it's like a cookbook so just like a cookbook you would um go through a cookbook look at the different recipes and think about which ones you want to try and which ones make sense for you or your family. So it's the same thing. You're going through the book and you're looking at the recipes and thinking about which ones work for your garden. But it's also, we, I teach through all the recipes how you can get to know your land and your space, understand the concepts behind it so that you can then make choices that work best for your garden. Because there's no, 
there's no way to have a guide that has every answer for every question. But if you learn how to find the answers by experimenting and testing in your garden, then you can get all the answers for your particular space. You are just a natural teacher. That's what I am an elementary <laughs> teacher by trade. And that's what we all strive to teach our students how to think critically and be able to find the information and come to a conclusion on your own and not just, you know, memorizing answers and things like that. Uh, well, tell us about something that grew well this year. Okay. Uh, you know what? I tried tomatillos for the first time this year, which is, I, never tried tomatillos before. I actually hadn't really eaten tomatillos before, which is quite funny, but I was at my, one of my local herb farms and there was a bunch of plants. You know, it's always hard to say no to all this vegetable starts. And I thought, oh, I'll just pick up this little tomatillo. Yeah, I know. Like we all, and then we get home and we're like, oh, where am I going to put all these? But it's hard to say no. So I brought one home and just one, and usually you need two tomatillos. So I really didn't expect much. Put it in the garden and, well, I actually didn't know that you needed two until a little bit later in the season because I didn't think it through. I'd never grown it before for, threw the tomatillo in, um, put a tomato cage around it. It then grew to about eight feet tall, flopped over the tomato cage, and I had three more stacking up beside it. And it produced just pounds of tomatillos this year. And I thought, well, I don't know if they're going to ripen because our season was a little bit strange. Um, but they all, you know, they fell, the husks fell to the ground and I picked up baskets of them and um, couldn't believe it. The, the flavor of them is amazing. And I've been making salsa verde and all these other recipes with them. So that was a really, really fun experience. And that's pretty much how I've learned to grow everything. I'm still learning. And, uh, you know, so I'm not an expert in tomatillos by any means, but I had a really great fun experience with them this year. It was a, it was an interesting, it was definitely an interesting um, plant that I'm going to make sure I do even better next year because now it's going to be part of my garden after how delicious it is. Are, do they taste like tomatoes? I don't know that I've ever had tomatillos either. Oh, it's, it's hard to explain. They're, so they, they're in a husk. And as you open up the husk, they don't taste like tomatoes quite. They, um, mine had the crispiness almost of an apple and a little bit of sweetness and sourness at the same time. The, I mean, if you think of a salsa verde, which is a, almost like a green tomato salsa, um, like you can make, I think you can make a salsa verde with tomatillos, of course, but also with green tomatoes. So imagine that sort of firmer green tomato taste, but less, there's a little less umami in it. It's, it's more bright and cheery and sweet. Mm -hmm. Oh, they were just amazing. I, I took a whole bunch of different ones at different stages of ripeness and took little slices and tasted them, but then cooking them all together um, and making the sauce was, it just, yeah, it changed everything. It was delicious. Well, that's kind of what happened with me with the tomatoes. It was like the ah. part of it was just, I think we had such a warm fall that like we got our first freeze in September and I thought they were just going to be done like a week later, but they weren't. And they just kept turning red and turning red and turning red. And like, I got to make so many different batches and just, and it was just, I got so much for my um, labor. It was just so worth it. So <sighs> That's fantastic. Uh, and I finally found a recipe for homemade salsa that worked for me. I think the secret was, I don't think I've ever cooked it before. And this was a recipe that you cooked and you added a little can of tomato paste to it, which I have to say, but um, 
it was just it was really good so that was exciting. and did you can that sauce like was that something that you could then keep well so that and... was gonna be my plan but i didn't read the recipe enough i know nothing about canning i was gonna have my husband do it because he does it and i guess with tomatoes you have to peel them because it changes the ph and also like the bacteria can grow on the tomato skins you can't can tomatoes that have their skins on them and i didn't blanch them and throw the skins away i had the skins, so i read that part after he's like well where are the directions and i got the directions and so i froze it which we did buy a chest freezer this year which was another game changer oh that totally is a game changer yeah i think every gardener needs to have a chest freezer because yeah we've wanted one for a long time and (laughs) i don't know what the deal is it just seems like the deals are on facebook in the facebook groups like Uh, we've never seen we've gotten things that we have wanted for years because they've been but they also were like you have to be like the first one (laughs) to like be like i'll take that (laughs) and so it just worked out that we finally got a chest freezer i don't even think we paid 200 dollars for it so it was a really good deal it's a nice big clean one and um yeah so well tell us about something you're excited to do different next year or something you haven't tried before that you're going to do new well, what I've been transitioning to okay. over the years is I've been taking out, so as much as I love my perennials, I've been taking my ornamental plants out of the garden and herbscaping. So I've really come into wanting to try all sorts of different herbs in the garden. So I'll plant like five different kinds of calendula and five different kinds of chamomile and three different kinds of stevia so that I can really try the different varieties. And because I'm still in a small urban garden, I've moved since that first garden, but I still on a standard size lot and I've packed hundreds of plants in here. I need to make sure that if I'm going to have herbs growing that I that I have to pull out some of the ornamental ones. But luckily where do you get those plants? Five different types of chamomile. Oh, we have um i get them from richter's herbs so i i order online the seeds and then start them in my own little indoor grow on my own grow like do you have some heat mats to get them to take off it depends it depends on the seeds some like heat to germinate some don't i do love using heat mats they're inexpensive and i mean the lights will provide a little bit of heat as well and warm the soil especially if your tray is quite small um but but the heat really helps some germinate much more quickly. I mean, some of them will still germinate in time, but it just takes a lot longer if you don't have the heat there. You can also make one just by putting, you know, strings of Christmas lights and plugging those in and putting them underneath. But the heat mats are fairly inexpensive. I've been using mine for probably 10 or 12 years and they still work just fine. So it's I, I think it's a worthwhile investment. I think we're going to have to put that on our Christmas list this year. Heat mats. Yes, that's a great, yeah. <laughs> There's so many fun things that you can get for your own seed starting and then we'll, you know, grow. Well, and the other thing I've always up. wanted to grow are petunias. And Mike says, yeah. and and this neighbor of mine, she's like, look what my eight-year-old niece grew. And I'm like, what? I'm like, how did she grow petunias? I always thought they were so hard. And then I was like, did you have a heat mat? And she's like, well, yeah, of course. And I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have mine out and I have a garden studio, which is a garage that's converted into a studio space. And I have a grow light shelf that I've built. There's um, on my on my website, gardentherapy.ca. If you search in the search bar for grow light shelf, you'll see that um, how I set that one up with just an Ikea wood shelf. And then I've got the grow lights on top and the heat mats underneath. And I can start, I mean, I always start 
as we all do if we start our own seeds, hundreds more plants than I can actually plant in my garden. So then there's also the neighborhood, um, the neighborhood giveaway <laughs> that happens after I have to try to thin these things out and hope they go to new homes. But yeah, so I, I'm, I've been transforming my whole garden into herbscaping so that I can test out all these different herbs. And I found a stevia variety that I really like. Stevia, I don't know if you've grown stevia, but I am totally into stevia. Like it's my, it's probably one of my favorite things to grow because I don't eat sugar and I love stevia. Some people don't like that bitterness, that bitter flavor of it because they see it as a sugar alternative or a sugar substitute, right. but I see it as a herb. I mean, stevia has this wonderful ability to, in your gut, it helps to um, release the biofilm that's hiding some bacteria on the inside of your gut. So it helps to allow the good bacteria to get in behind the biofilm that might be protecting some of the bad bacteria in there. So not only are you having something that tastes sweet and makes your food sweeter and you're not having sugar in your system, but you're also having an e a healing herb that you know, gives you that benefit. And when you grow it in your garden, it grows really easily, get some really nice plants. I dry the leaves whole and then strip them, put them in a blender and blend it like I have a, a Vitamix. And so I blend it into a really, really fine powder. And that powder lasts me throughout the year because you just need a tiny little bit when you're adding it to tea or baking or whatever. It's green. So it makes your baking green, which is also kind of fun, but it tastes amazing. And it's so natural. Yes. I know. I love, I love it when people come over to the garden and they don't sort of get a sense for stevia and like what it is. They might've heard of it as a sugar substitute because, you know, the keto thing is really popular and the low carb and all that stuff. And I'll give them a leaf of it and they taste it and their face is like, holy cow, like this is so sweet because it's so much sweeter than sugar. And then it's got that little bit of bitterness that they don't really understand. But to me, when I've dried it and blended it, it tastes like, it smells and tastes like green tea that's quite sweet. So I quite like it. I had a matcha tea for matcha latte for my breakfast this morning. So I'm, I'm into the green tea to begin with. So a little bit of stevia tastes fabulous with your matcha latte. <laughs> I bought a stevia plant at the farmer's market one year and grew it. And yeah, it is uh, amazing. Uh, I am looking at the shelf building plans. You built that i mean it looks so complicated to me i'm like look at the chains and changing the lights so like you know some plants are higher and lower and that but it does i it's amazing to me how much you've got growing in a small space there actually oh it's yeah you can get a lot growing in a really really small space yeah you need the chains on the light so it's actually really easy it's just chains from the hardware store and a couple of hooks that that go right in it's just a pine shelf from ikea so it's very soft so you don't even need a tool to screw one of those hooks with the the threaded screw on the end of it so screw a hook in hang a chain and then you can hang you want your light to be right down at where the plants are right so you don't want to have it hovering about you know 12 inches above you want the light right down where the plants are so as the plants grow you have to you know pull the chain up so that you're lifting the lights and I've got one of my books because, as you said, I've written 10. One of my books is um, in, my, in my bookstore here on the website is called Get Growing, and it's all about seed starting. So a couple of years ago, I actually even had a seed collection with, um, with Garden Trends, and 
picked out all these different seeds that were in specialty collections. So I had a kids gardening collection, an ornamental edibles collection, a natural beauty collection, and wrote this book to really help people get started with seed starting um, in a way that's, you know, easy and helpful. So all the plans for this are in there as well, but with a lot more information on soil temperature and uh, seed starting mix and, you know, everything that you need to make sure that they're your seeds get started. If you start your seeds in the right way, then you're going to have a healthier plant to begin with, and it's going to have less pests, less disease, less challenges, and, you know, better production. So you definitely want to start your seeds properly and not stress them out in those early days. Yeah, my husband talks about that a lot. He's always yeah. been the big seed grower in our house, but uh, yeah, he probably would like some heat mats. I think he'd <laughs> like some more lights, too. Yeah, we all want more lights. <laughs> Tell us about something that didn't go the way you thought it was gonna. Oh, well, I think nothing goes the way you think it's going to. <laughs> I mean, my tomatillos <laughs> didn't go the way I thought they were going to go. And Stevia doesn't go the way I think it's going to go. Um, I, 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 you know what? I try to have not that many expectations. Um, I don't want to, uh, f f you know, buy a plant, put it in the garden, and then have an expectation that it's supposed to do a certain thing. I buy it, put it in the garden, and learn from it. So it's very practical, very hands-on, um, and, and I just observe. But I'm also, I mean, I... I don't know, people could think I'm callous. If something is not performing well and it's not, you know, doing what it needs to do, I have no problem ripping that thing out and putting it in the compost bin. Like I, there's no grieving. There's, you know, it's just not working, then it's fine. I'm really very much that, you know, the garden is there for you to, you know, you work together with the garden, you work together with the land, you work together with the plants. However, it shouldn't be, a strain or make you feel stressed out. If it does and it's becoming a chore, then you're not doing it right. You need to do it so that it's feeding you and supporting you. So yeah, something doesn't work. It gets hauled out to the compost. There's no ceremony. <laughs> it's just gone. That's a good attitude. <laughs> well, Stephanie, this is the where we get to the lightning round or Ooh. it's called getting to the root of things, which is kind of like a lightning round on other shows. So do you have a least favorite activity in the garden you have to kind of force yourself to get out and do? Yeah, I don't like watering. So I build a garden that is very um, uh, sustainable on its own. What are some tips for like sustainability water right? Because water is always a big struggle with us. And I don't mind watering like on a hot sunny afternoon and standing out there that can be therapeutic but what i struggle with is like michael be like did you water today did you water today did you yeah. water today like and and my tomatoes i even had a huge problem with and i did not harvest anywhere near as many tomatoes as i should have because i had to throw a lot away because they got that is it um blossom end rot where yep. they turn brown on the bottom. I was yep. so disappointed. But the good thing was that if I did water them a lot, I was able to save a lot, but I should have harvested so many more tomatoes than I did. <laughs> well, you know, I it's it's part of a permaculture process. It's about collecting water and allowing the, 
the system to um, retain water and then making the plants strong enough that they can survive with less water and find water on their own. So I am lucky because I live in a rainforest. It's a temperate rainforest here in Vancouver. And um, so there isn't a lot of watering to do year round. However, in the summer, we've been getting much more drought conditions. So we have, you know, two to three months now where we're on watering restrictions. And so you want to water infrequently oh and deeply. Pick plants that get strong roots when you're establishing plants. Um, try to help them establish so that they are getting water um, and building. They're reaching down deeply with their roots to mine their own water. And that way, um, they'll be a lot stronger and sustain themselves between waterings much more. So I have soaker hoses that I have going through this herbscaping that I've done in my vegetable garden because, you know, there's a lot of new annual plants that go in there. All the perennials, they're on their own. So they might get a couple supplemental waterings throughout the year, but generally the trees and shrubs and everything, unless it's, you know, really smoky, which has been happening with wildfire smoke the last couple of years, then I'll give them a little bit of extra water. But, um, you know, I have soaker hoses that go through the rest of the garden. It's on a timer and it goes once to twice a week. And so for annual plants, I'm not watering every day. I try not to plant in containers anymore because containers take so much watering time and they dry out so quickly. And the other thing is I never, ever water my lawn. I've been replacing my lawn over the last couple of years with clover. And that those clover plants have such strong root systems. It stays green and lush. I barely I think I mowed five times over the season and I didn't water it once and I had a green lush lawn for the entire year so it's beautiful clover lawns all the way I love all of that we don't really water <laughs> our lawn during the year partly because like my husband has this thing I call the mini farm like the water is pretty much going like we don't water at night, which I don't know, maybe we should do that, but I don't think we could leave the water running all night long and then it wouldn't, I think it would be like we would run out of water by the morning. But between his <laughs> mini farm, like he waters all morning down in the mini farm and then I water in the evening in the gardens around our house and then like we have 13 fruit trees, I think, and I try to give them a deep watering once every two weeks, if not more, yeah. but often it turns out to be less it just seems like we're always running out of water yeah and um but these are great tips you've just dropped so many golden seeds like i just love so much about that um you know the strong roots and watering deeply and this other friend of mine came out this summer and she was like i don't because what i do is i set the timer for six minutes or nine six to nine minutes and like and then i move it and then i move it every because I have like 13 spaces, I think that are small. They're not, they're, they're deep beds. So they're not quite container beds. And, and so it's just like this little round circle of water staying within the deep bed. Like some of the beds I have to do one side and then the other side. So there's these 13 spots that I'm moving it every six to nine minutes, depending. So it takes like 90 minutes of me Ooh. just moving every single night. And I don't, she was like, why don't you just water deeper and not have to move it so many times, but they are so dry. I don't know. Maybe if I did them for, I think I would have to do it for like 20 to 30 minutes each spot for it not to need water the next day. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the, the idea really a lot. 
if you're watering shallow and frequently, then the roots are looking for water up near the top of the soil, which dries out more quickly. But if you're encouraging the roots to, to look for water down deeper, the soil holds the water down lower. And so you don't have to water as often. So you watering shallow for a short period of time is training the trees to dry out quickly. So you have to train them. <laughs> You have to train the plants to look for their own water down low. Or it doesn't evaporate as quickly, right, as it does in the top bit of soil. But how do I get the water down there? Well, you just soak. Just keep soaking it. Oh. Well, well, that's just it. what your like friend was saying. The bed never gets that wet. Or I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Um, so on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? I think harvest, um, probably two things. One, I read in a book that I absolutely loved. It's called Trauma Farm by Brian Brett. It's this uh, memoir of um, Brian Brett's farm, which he lovingly calls Trauma Farm. Um, and one of the things he did is he got up every morning naked, put on his gumboots and went and walked the garden. Well, I can't do that in the city. So I put on clothes, but doing a morning garden walk to just go and see what's going on in the garden. I absolutely love it. And then I go and I pick things. So I'll harvest some calendula flowers and I'll, you know, pick a, like a little, a few little snacks out there. So it's really a, um, a very uh, loving way to start your day to get out and sort of get that little bit of garden therapy right from the, right from the get go. But in the city, I wear clothes. <laughs> it would be fun to do it nude. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, when I first moved here, so Mike and I have the last 20 acres of his, he grew up on a 1200 acre ranch. I used Ooh. to be able to walk around and not have to worry about that. But anymore, we have neighbors everywhere. I mean, I can't even walk out my kitchen door without people seeing me. Um, <laughs> but so you can't participate in Naked Gardening Day then? No. But well, I could, could <laughs> participate in doing a morning, morning garden walk because there was some point last summer where I realized part of the problem, like the reason I don't see the caterpillar bugs on the kale or the little caterpillars is because I rarely do go to our garden in the morning. I most often only go down there like five or six at night when I'm done working or whatever I'm doing for the day. So I think that would be a good thing. And certainly now on the flip side, enjoying the garden, I spend more time sitting in the garden and reading in the garden at night. But I did realize I don't do that morning garden walk. And I think that's crucial to pay attention to your garden and learn and, and see things that are going on. Yeah, it's it's such a good teaching tool, and you would you would pick those caterpillars in the morning, and it would really help to control the population just by hand picking them. Yeah, because I didn't think I was like, there's no bug, I haven't seen any bugs, and then I realized because I was talking to one of my guys, I was telling, I think it was Erica Nolan about it, and she was saying, I was telling her that I put the nematodes in, and that Lisa Ziegler had said, you know, it's the moss and this and that, and put the row cover on top of the kale, and she was like well have you gone and looked and seen what's growing i'm like i haven't seen anything and then but i went down in the morning like the next day after our interview and, and that's when i did see there were these little itty bitty teeny tiny caterpillar bugs in the dew crawling off of the leaves so anyway stephanie what's the best gardening advice you've ever received mm, i think it's to 
um, let the plants teach you. And that's from the herbalists. So it's funny because the um, advice that you get from gardeners is all practical of how you make the plants grow. But really herbalists treat plants as allies and allow us to learn what the plants can do for us and how we can work together with them by listening to them and reading their messages. So for example, something like um, rose. Rose is a beautiful herb for the skin on your face. And it tells us this because those petals, those soft satiny petals have the feel of what your skin can feel like on your face if you add rose into your um, routine. You can make a rose water toner, you can make rose water lotion, face cream, all those sorts of things. I do all that. I've got recipes on the blog for all those things. Extracting that beautiful healing property of rose and putting it on your face. But we find out by listening to the plants. The plants are telling us messages. They're just telling us in a way that we don't know how to read. So I think the best advice I've gotten is, is from the herbalism perspective and uh, taking that as a way, not just foraging or going out into the wild and looking at plants there, but looking at our cultivated plants in our garden and, and listening to the messages that they're giving us as well. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, I'm a big, I love herbs. Uh, and I think listening to your plants and looking around, and I love that, the analogy of the rose petals on the, that they're good for your face. Uh, what's your favorite tool? Like, is there a tool? If you had to move, what could you not live without? My soil knife. Hori, hori. What do you do with that? Oh, the soil knife? Oh. Everything. Everything. I love my soil knife. Um, yeah, it's, I only really carry, I have a, I have an apron, a gardening apron that I wear called a rue apron, which I love too. And in it is a pair of pruners and my soil knife and I have my gloves on and I can pretty much do everything with just that. So the knife has a serrated part on it where you can just hack things back very quickly. So instead of like doing the act of pruning something, if you need to hack something back, but then it's also got, um, it allows you to dig like a trowel, so small spaces, or it can get in there and really cut roots and it's got a little hook on it so that you can can cut uh, like like string and wire if you need to cut string or wire uh it's an amazing tool it's 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 like an extension of my hand and i think anybody who uses a um soil knife or a hori hori knife cannot get enough of it <laughs> i think you're right there uh what's your favorite recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden I th I'm going to go back to um, stevia because I make a herbal tea every day that I um, that I drink all day long. So it's a, a cold tea made with hibiscus, rose hip, and a bunch of different herbs that are full of vitamins and minerals. So things like oat straw, nettles, you know, all these different yummy herbs. And I make um, three big one liter mason jars of it a day. So I put a tablespoon of each one of these herbs in, fill it with boiling water, let it cool, strain it and add stevia to it and a little bit of lemon juice. And I drink that every day. And I, honestly, I feel like a million bucks. I feel like I'm just like getting vitamins and minerals. And there's a recipe for it on my website as well. In case people are looking for it and they want to recreate it. But my son who's seven loves it. And I send it to school in his water bottle all the time. So I'm like, dousing my kid with herbs every day which is amazing and he drinks it like kool-aid like you know he doesn't know what kool-aid tastes like because he drinks 
hibiscus iced tea. Um, but I remember inviting one of his friends over here. He had invited one of his friends over before the pandemic. And, uh, and I said, oh, you know, when your friend comes over, we can have iced tea. And he looks at his friend and he said, we're going to have hibiscus iced tea. And the kid was looking at him like he is speaking a different language, but he was so excited about it. <laughs> I love it. Little herbal children. <laughs> and vitamin or hibiscus is full of vitamin c i think right yes. and they're saying right now like the three big things we all need that help will help prevent corona are uh what is it vitamin c zinc um, vitamin d and vitamin d is that the three yeah. the sun excellent yeah. so uh listeners you definitely want to go get that recipe um yeah the rose hips too are also really full of vitamin c so i do i i collect the rose hips from my garden. I don't grow the hibiscus. I do buy that as a dried herb because uh, I'm in a temperate garden. And it's a little bit harder to grow, but I, um, I grow most of what I, most of what I can make my tea with. How about a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? I, I'll be honest, I really love books. So I'll go on the library website and see what all the new books are that are out, or I'll buy the new books that are coming out um, at the bookstore. And I sit and I, I sit on my couch and I read them. It's, it's like a throwback to 2006 when I was sick and lying in my bed and reading about all the gardening books. There's so many amazing books that are coming out. I was going to tell you about one because um, Nikki Jabor, I'm sure you know Nikki Jabor. Um, she's got a great new book coming out called Growing Undercover. And that book is, um, it's got a lot of different um, ideas for row covers and, and growing things to protect from pests. It's not just, you know, obviously it's from weather as well and extending the season, but it looks like a fantastic book. So I'm super excited about that one. And of course, as an author, I want people to sit and read books as well. I want people to, you know, grab a, gar a copy of Garden Alchemy or some of my other books and sit and read and be inspired, like spend the winter thinking about how are we going to grow a better garden next year? I've learned so much from, from books. Um, and you know what? I'm a, I'm a blogger. I've got a website. I, you know, I absolutely love the internet, but I still think that there's so much value in these beautiful hard copy books that people have put their heart and soul into. Yeah. And how often do you ever go back and reread a blog post as much as you reread a book? Like yeah. Nikki Jabor's Four Season Vegetable Garden, I think it's called, yeah. is one of my favorite garden books. And Nikki Jabor finally said she's going to do an interview with me. She even booked a time and she melted my heart because she said, I have actually listened to your podcast and enjoyed your conversations. I couldn't believe it. Oh yeah. I she's just an amazing person. Yeah. She's so, one of the, she's one of the best garden um, teachers out there. I would definitely, yeah, I would definitely say she's, she's one of my gardening heroes. Me too. So I'm super excited <laughs> for that. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about before I ask my final question and then you can tell listeners how to connect with you? Um, no, I don't think so. We've covered so much in this talk. Yeah. I, um, I, I, it's been so much fun. It's you, you were, we've been all over the map, but I'm really, I, I feel like we've covered so much. Oh, cool. Well, I'm glad it has been so fun. I love podcasting. It's great to be back on the mic and talking um, to someone who's so passionate and just has so much to teach. I feel like you've dropped tons of golden seeds and, you know, that's the best part of my show is just that we're all learning so much about how we can save our planet and be, better stewards of the environment and just uh, 
that leads right into my final question. So, Stephanie, if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Oh, that's such a great question. And you know, it's one that I thought a lot about. That's why I did the Organic Master Gardeners program. And I do all the work with children's gardens, because somewhere I read, and I truly believe that if you teach children to love plants, and the earth, they'll take care of it. And so I feel like the thing that we can do is help the next generation help the younger generation fall in love with the earth and really, really understand the, the depth of the beauty and value that it provides to us. I actually spent the whole summer, I took a lot of the summer off, and my son and I spent a lot of time camping, and it changed everything for us, because it was a safe COVID activity to do, and we were outside all the time, and we just, we lived, we slept in our van for probably 30 days of the summer, and it changed everything, that connection of plants. I'd come home, I'd garden, we'd go out and we'd camp, and just that whole summer spent with plants gave us a whole new perspective. I think he's going to grow up, um, like he already loves plants, and he, he's going to grow up wanting to protect this earth. Oh my gosh, my heart is just like melting. Cause I, did I mention I'm an elementary teacher by trade? And so I wanted to ask about like, so you said you did some of your Montana, I mean, your um, master garden volunteering at a farm that had urban kids come learn. So like, what did you go there? Like once a week or like, I was curious how that worked out. Yeah, it's unfortunately the program's done now, which is too bad. It's called the Intergenerational Landed Learning Program. And it was at the University of British Columbia in their, um, in the UBC farm. They brought in a busload of school children for the entire school year. So starting in September and then all the way through to the end of the year to um, they came in once every two weeks, and so every second week would be a different group of children, and then they would learn all about growing their own food and where it came from. So, of course, it's a really weird um, growing season to do. So, in September, they would have the garden beds from the previous year's kids, and they would see what was growing, harvest it, learn how to cook with it, you know, really interact with the plants, then prepare the beds for winter, and in January and February, we would go into the school instead of out to the farm and help the kids plan the, what they wanted to grow. So we would go through the seed catalogs. They would pick out what they wanted to plant in their garden. They worked in small groups. So they were, we were in groups of like three to four students who were elementary school aged. And then there was farm friends. So there was a master gardener and a, and a UBC student that usually worked together with the kids. So it was like this intergenerational idea of, you know, getting back to the land and learning about it. So then they would plan their garden and we would plant the seeds, start the seeds indoors, move them out, transplant them, allow them to grow, harvest a little bit by June, but really they would then send the garden off to the next crew who would come in the following September and harvest and learn about cooking the plants. Beautiful, beautiful program. It ran for 15 years and unfortunately lost its funding um, and is no longer continuing. Um, but 
I took the experience that I had with that and ended up setting up um, gardens wherever my son is. So when he was at daycare, I set them up at his daycare. Now he's in an after-school care program and I've set a sensory garden up there for the kids. So just trying to do whatever I can to bring these gardens out into the community. What age were the kids that came to the college? It was like um, little a, schoolers or middle schoolers or high school or no, definitely elementary school age. So generally like, age, third, uh, like grades three to four. Nice. Yeah. That's my favorite age to work with. Oh yeah. They I were taught third grade last year and it was just like, I, I can't believe it was like my last year teaching possibly. And I waited like all those years and I finally got into third grade. <laughs> Oh, good. Well, what I found about the kids is that they were very eager and excited to um, try everything, but they have no filter. So they say everything that's on their mind. So it's really great age to teach because they share everything <laughs> with you. That's a great way to learn too, because they're not afraid to share their questions, whereas you get into the older grades and they're already shy to raise their hands and stuff. Yeah. And I mean, these are kids um, that are in like very urban areas or inner city. So they don't always have access to land in a garden space. Yeah. Maybe they live in condos. And so they start off the year and, you know, we're asking them questions like, um, you know, can you list off a vegetable? And they're saying pizza is a vegetable to at the end of the year, holding their belly and saying, oh, I hate too many kale flowers. My tummy hurts. And you're just like, yes, we win. <laughs> Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, tell listeners how to connect with you. Your website well, you can... is gardentherapy.ca, right? That's right. Yeah, that's, it's, the, it's the best place to find me. So you can Google Garden Therapy, Google Garden Therapy Stephanie, um, or go directly to gardentherapy.ca. And on my website, I've got links to where you can find my books. There's tons and tons and tons of articles there on, I feature a lot of herbs. I have a lot of DIY projects. I do a lot of plant-based beauty. So a lot of using herbs and showing you how to make your own skincare. There's, so there's lots of recipes on there. And I also have courses. So because um, as an author, I would go to all the garden shows and gardening clubs, and I would do lots lots of seminars and I love talking to people about these things live and sort of doing this as you said teaching because I do love to share I love to share what I learned and help people find that same connection with the earth um, I with COVID I started putting them online so I, I have a course section there where I've got um, courses on on some of my books on garden alchemy so it's got really great place really great things that you can get started with right now because this is airing in January it's a really great way to start looking at your soil thinking about composting how are you going to set up your garden for the year um, and it's a great companion to garden alchemy it's also got workbooks and things included so I did a lot of extra stuff around the book that make that takes sort of the book to life and then um, add a whole bunch of extra resources if people want to learn a little bit more. So yeah, I hope people will go and check out the courses as well, because it's a great way to spend the winter thinking about gardening and learning. And there are great prices on the courses, $12, not like a lot of courses that are like, you know, $100 or whatever. That's totally affordable and doable and they look awesome. Oh, I just love your website. Uh, well, Stephanie, you're probably like, is this woman ever going to let me get off the phone? No matter how fun it is, you're probably like, how long is this interview going to go? So I will let you go. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I will send you the link when it's live and have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Stay safe and health to your family and just uh, have a great day.
Thank you to you as well. This has been so much fun. I just absolutely love talking to you and enjoying your energy and enthusiasm. So thank you for having me. Well, thanks for saying that because I got a lot of like, this podcast is great if it wasn't for the host (laughs) uh, reviews last year. (laughs) It's just like, I haven't been to iTunes in like months in like two years. And uh, and I go on there to like, I was making this like speaker PDF and I wanted to get a testimonial. Oh, my heart just broke. (laughs) So thanks for saying that. I'm glad you like my energy. Yeah, no, your energy. I mean, the questions that you ask and the energy really helps to, it, it, it makes the conversation flow and I've had a great time. So yeah, I would definitely sit and talk to you any day that you want to. Thanks, Stephanie. Well, you can always come back. I'm always looking for guests. So you are welcome anytime. You have a wonderful Saturday. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey listeners, have you been to Growers.co, James Fortier's newest venture? He's got an amazing magazine featuring the inspiring farmers who have followed in his footsteps, taken his classes, put his practices into work that he's highlighting in a great printed magazine. He's got tools that he's designed that he's developed from um, looking at tools around the world while he did his book tour that just he uses on his farm. I mean, it's amazing the information on his website. You can learn about how to use these tools. They're totally affordable. I'm telling you, the Canadian Exchange is great right now. Um, and farmware that's stylish, it's comfortable, but most of all, it's practical for working in the garden. I know one of my biggest barriers was garden shoes. He's got boots, coats. Um, and you definitely want to get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt either for yourself, get one for your favorite CSA or farmer market vendor. It'll make them feel good. It'll make you feel good and support growers.co. That man has changed our world for the better. He's been so generous with his time, his energy and, um, deserving of, uh, uh, your shopping dollars. So growers.co. Join Patty Armbruster and I for Grow Live on YouTube Live Saturday mornings coming to you in 2021. We'll be answering your questions. We'll be um, laughing and sharing information that you want to know because they're going to be answers to your questions on YouTube Live Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time and 8 a.m. Pacific. Send us your questions. You can submit them at the organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash patty. You can email me at orgpodcast at gmail.com. You can send them to micegreengarden at gmail.com. Ask Patty Live. Grow Live with Jackie and Patty. We'll be answering your questions. What do you need to know to grow healthy food in your garden? Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening. And remember, grow local. Grow local.